0: This is MindFrame, a podcast of mind bending science fiction. You're listening to an interesting episode because this is the second interlude that follows the character named Josephine, that may or may not be the other Josephine. This one is a special piece to me because, as a person who likes Doctor Who, I love the fact that every year they do a Christmas special. And it's always interesting because they close out their entire season or what they would call a series in the UK. And then there's a break of several months. But at the at the finale, there's always some shocker or some strange image with the Titanic crashing into the TARDIS or something. I and mean, then you have to wait months until literally Christmas Eve or Christmas Day when they released the Christmas special and you get to watch this Christmas piece that's seasonal and it's Doctor Who and it kind of uh, fits the, the, the genre and the time. And I thought that was cool. And Brent and I were talking and as I'm still working on the interludes, I realized that the story that I'm telling with these interludes, if I made a slight variation, I could really make it an interesting holiday episode and it would actually release just before Christmas. So if you're listening to this on the first original run of Mindframe, Live Time, then this is a special holiday episode because it's being released a week or two before Christmas. If you're listening farther down the line and much like Doctor Who, you're out of space and time, then it's simply the second interlude. But, um... You're going to go on an interesting journey with Josephine on a strange ship with a strange person as she tries to do what she was doing where she left off, where she was being told that she was perhaps going to start becoming a messenger. And we see some frustration in that process and some hesitance And uh, it should be an interesting tale. So as usual, um, I like to remind you that we are a member of the Podbelly network and we are in fact a Podbelly original. If you want to go to podbelly.com, You can find some really great information about podcasts. If you're thinking of podcasting or if you've just done a podcast on your own and you're trying to get more um, ears on it and more uh, subscriptions, then you might want to go to podbelly.com and consider uh, joining the directory where more people can can find your content. And if you're new to podcasting, it's a great place to go to try to find some educational content and some tips and tricks on the hardware and software and and things you might want to use to launch your podcast. If you like Mindframe and you want to support us, a great way to do so is to go to patreon.com backslash podcast. And there, uh, if you give, you can start to get access to all of the sit-down episodes. Uh, Myself and Brent and Zach record them every single week along with the regular chapters. So if you want to hear us talk about the the theories behind what's occurring, some of the mystery that is happening in every episode, or even just talk about writing process or favorite science fiction or whatever, that's a great way that you can do that and support the show. And you can also get some great, unique t-shirts that you can only get from there and so forth. So... Having said all that, I hope you enjoy the interlude. And if you're listening to it live, Merry Christmas. And I hope you enjoy the holiday special part one. Interlude the doorbell was hard to explain in so much as it wasn't a door and it wasn't a bell. In fact, it was not a sound native to earth or meant for human ears. It wasn't unlike a deep drum something used in a bold, choreographed ceremony in feudal Japan, but merged, impossibly, with a wave on the ocean shore or a slow, sharp flap of a flag in a low breeze. It was pleasant. Josephine felt it in her breast as much as she heard it with her ears. She was currently sitting in a swiveling chair, looking out the window into space. If she moved to the fore of the quarters where the faint orange stripe of light fed the front wall, she'd be able to see the sun, small and weak, from this great distance. She'd been having tea and getting a foot rub by one of her attendants. She didn't know which of the two it was, but she never did. It looked like a black beetle, the size of a Labrador retriever, had sex with the Sydney Opera House, and this was their offspring, but with too many legs. The shell was a shiny black, almost iridescent in the light, and a hundred tiny hands, graspers, probes, and lord knows what, hung below them as they drifted on invisible currents around the room. They made slight cute noises that only their framer could hear. In spite of the sheer horror of seeing them, they were the most beautiful things in creation. This one floated on its back, the hundred micro limbs facing upward. Josephine was laying her feet in the middle of them, and they were rubbing out the tension. Sometimes a set of twenty of the black, shiny fingers would part, revealing a somewhat soft underbelly, and Josephine would rub it back with her feet. The attendant would issue a pleasant, faint sound, not unlike a sonar ping. They were not alive, but that seemed unlikely. Josephine set her tea down in response to the door's sound. It was a lovely floral green, either mixed with something or pure enough to impart the flavor of rose petals. Her attendant stopped its administrations to her feet, flipped over and floated to its usual position about six inches above her head and behind her. The alien drumming noise sounded again before she could rise and move all the way to the entrance. Her quarters had no doors. The entirety of the Alpha-Unique Vehicle Tehachapi had no doors, just membranes. It was a milky substance that would hang over the entrance, taut like a skin. It was the color of a jellyfish maybe, For some reason it made her think of an undeveloped photo floating in liquid in Guillermo's dark room back in the old dame, before the fire. She tried not to have those thoughts. He didn't practice photography. There was no dark room, there was no fire. She would scream that to herself some nights. There was no fire. One time she screamed it aloud in the middle of the empty grand causeway while jogging. Mostly though, the screams were just in her head. Maybe this was what it was like to go mad there was no fire. But there was. There was a fire. She smelled the smoke and cooking flesh on that horrible day. The screams scarred her ears. Only she was spared. As she approached the membrane, it became less opaque and made a leathery sound as it stretched more tightly into the entrance frame. She could see a single figure on the other side, out in the darkened grand causeway. Based on the form, the loose flow of the pants, and the wide-cut robe-like sleeves, it could only be one person. Then again, based on the nature of her quarantine, it truly could only be one person. She touched her forehead to the membrane and said, come on in, which was the only way to get noise to permeate the barrier. Fang walked forward into the membrane, and it bulged into the quarters, bending by about a foot, before it allowed him to slide through and occupy the same space. It was like falling through an inch of jello, A moment after, the membrane bulged again and Feng's own attendant slid into the space, just above and behind his right shoulder. The skin of the membrane snapped back into place in an instant. Feng gave a slight bow, a timid version of the obeisance that framers would give each other at the academy. He wore an ersatz framers robe. Well, they called them robes often enough, but they were more like pajamas or a gi. Two pieces, loose, flowing, comfortable, always in navel black. But Fang's was in crimson and had no smart collar. She could only assume his was a different color because of his job as one of the 25 couriers who directly supported the messengers. Josephine wore the same outfit as Fang, but in a proper naval black. She hadn't seen a need to wear a smart collar in months. Good morning, Fang, Josephine said, returning the bow, but with a more proper form to hers, indicative of his rank. She stood straight and pointed with a graceful motion of her arm to the sitting area where her tea was. She didn't wait for a response before she headed to the kitchen nook and grabbed a second mug. He was seated before she returned. They had become friendly over the past year since they seemed each other's only company and friendship summoned comfortability in each other's presence. Ignoring proper Navy protocol, he was already sitting and looking out the window. She sat and filled his mug, passing the tea to him. "'Good morning, Josephine,' he said with a sleepy smile. "'Still no decorations? "'They have plenty that I think you'd like at the seven days, "'and you can print anything there. "'Up till now I've been fine with the stars. "'Such large windows. "'I don't dare call it a porthole "'since it's the size of a sliding glass door. "'It seems easier to meditate with blank walls, "'the austerity of it. "'Plus the walls,' she said, "'waving an arm towards the scalloped arch "'that led back to the back half of the quarters.' The walls were metal, or something akin to it, and they weren't painted, but they were colorful, like some sort of sea creature or elaborate shell. The colors faded from dark blue to gray to a heavy tan. She could stare at their pearlescence for hours, tracing the patterns, trying to find meaning in the design. The walls were organic, flowing, no square shapes or rectangular door. There was open archways and smooth transitions of space and color. It was beautiful the ship itself and the ever-moving star field were more than a thousand aesthetic chits could have bought her. Fang nodded with an odd cluck he would give, part chuckle, part something else. It was an assent he'd issue to be polite and agree with her. But the truth was, recently, Josephine did want decorations. She wanted something human and grounding to be in her rather large living space. She'd been on naval vessels for some years before she went through framer training, and she'd never seen even a captain's quarters as large as these. In her earliest days on the Tehachapi, Fang told her that her quarters were almost sparse for this particular vessel. Josephine continued, Plus, there's just too much wall for me to figure out a decorating schema. These quarters are bigger than my childhood flat back on Earth. Yes, it is a large ship, filled with large spaces, Fang said. Does the rest of the ship feel as empty as our deck? Not at all. Most decks are a bustle, every inch accounted for. Josephine said, I sometimes wonder if it was made bigger at the shipyards just to emphasize the importance of the Alpha when he travels. On the contrary, said Fang, this was what was dreamed down to us exactly as is. The original shipyard tried to build walls internal to these large cavities and split up the spaces, you know, turn this massive cabin into, say, three smaller ones. But it was disastrous. On the test flight, upon the first ignition of the engines, those added walls buckled and collapsed. They all fell to the aft of the ship under thrust. Rather surprising, nobody died. Whatever principle creates the gravity-like effect and serves as an inertial dampener does not agree with foreign walls. So, large spaces. Feng took a sip of his tea, smiled widely, and nodded three slow nods in approval. Any idea which of the races this was designed for? Josephine asked. No idea. We all know the images and details of their planets, but not even any conjecture on which one created this particular design. I searched for theories on the academic net, but there were no articles. This ship, of course, is a one-off built only for the Alpha. Nobody knows its features or design details, so nobody knows how to attack or sabotage it. Unique ships are one of the best protections for the Messengers. As for the race, New Ping and I argue about it. He thinks the race was large, like, say, an elephant, or at least a cow, and needed large space for quarters. Warrens, he calls the living spaces, for no empirical reason. I think differently. I think it's aesthetic, religious, or psychological need. The Grand Causeways wouldn't need to be so grand to accommodate a species that lived in quarters of this size. Josephine nodded and added her own thoughts to the debate. She said, I think it was intended for long journeys. A generation ship, perhaps, since the food and volatiles are largely self-sufficient. You don't want to live in a broom closet for the rest of your life, having babies, longing for your destination. You need space and comfort in order to withstand that kind of life, especially civilians. I hadn't thought of that, Feng said. The need for a generation ship never entered my mind because of eventual lariat travel. Well, someone needs to head to deep space and build new lariats, don't they? Or they did originally, unless it was all done through the dreaming like it is with us. Fang sipped his tea, and they both watched as their attendants floated over into close proximity. Several of their arms extended and touched each other for a second or two. Their touch looked like a creature from the rainforest testing the stability of a branch, tentative and brief. Fang continued, As you surely know, I did not come to discuss xenoesthetics or sample one of your lovely teas. You never do, she said. It was intended to be delivered dryly, but she thought she heard too much of a dagger in her delivery. The Alpha wants to know how your dreams came along last night. Nothing abnormal to report. I've written it all up, but he told me to stop submitting formal reports. Every time I try, he stops and says, This is not that, Fang interrupted. Precisely, said Josephine. It is why I mentioned the decorations early. Feng Shui is important. He feels that you may need to build a life that is more homelike to surround yourself. If you feel more comfortable, your psyche may reach a different plane. And then I can be contacted? Perhaps. Don't underestimate the power of a nice poster. His words. He wanted me to tell that to you. I think flowers are a houseplant, greenery, a salt lamp, candles, atmosphere. Josephine said, We have living plants, decorative plants, of course. The dehatrope is self sustaining. I can get you some from the hydroponic bays. Feng paused. Josephine saw that he looked troubled, as if he was worried about something he had just said. He took a thoughtful drag of his tea. I'm sorry you cannot leave this deck, Lieutenant Wu. I did not mean to sound boastful that I can go to a hydroponic deck. Or earlier, when I mentioned Yu Ping, it was unthoughtful when I am all you can speak to. Josephine said, It is part of the process. The psychic decontamination, Alpha said. You're the only one with a high enough score not to bring any residue with you. Otherwise, I'd have to live in that thing, she said, pointing to the framing chamber in her oversized bed quarters with a thrust of her thumb. If they have them, some azaleas and camellias would be nice. Any color. I don't care if they're in bloom. An iris speculatrix. Ah, a Hong Kong iris. I can't speak to the other two, but I know that the irises grow in hydroponic bay three. I can get you one for our meeting this evening." I'll check on the others, of course. She added, A ficus would do, something larger, but in the meantime, candles and decorations. The seven days will have them? Just at the other end of the deck. I had them restock their wares to emphasize decorations, Fang said. He was a slight man, short, with fine features. He had the high cheekbones of a model, but his mouth and eyes were too small to make the face stand out professionally. His mouth reminded her of bone china and his hair was long and pulled back into a complex ponytail that he himself could never have woven. Through their conversations, Josephine learned that he was half Chinese and half British. He grew up in Hong Kong. She was from Hong Kong as well, and was half Chinese, half Australian. They had very much in common, enough that sometimes she thought of him as a friend more than a high-ranking courier, or a reality buffer, as he was called in the meditation texts. She said, "'Then let us go shopping, my friend,' Apparently, my alien will only talk to me if I have the right feng shui. The Grand Causeways were places of masterful illusion. In reality, it was a space that was maybe 40 feet high and 80 feet wide, but the angle of the ceiling, coupled with the very clever lighting and color schemes, made it feel like it went on forever. There was a slight breeze constantly being summoned not enough to ruffle hair, but enough to let the pores on your skin feel movement in the air that told your animal brain that you were outside. It was cool enough to project the comfortable temperature that summoned a late summer evening, and the lighting was set as if the sun was always 20 minutes from going down. Were you on planet Earth, anyway? It was pure psychology. It made you feel as if you walked down a comfortable lane that was lined with coffee shops, spaces, eateries, There was plant life and sometimes a flowing stream in the center lane, and the smell of coffee filled the air, as did fresh baked goods. All of this was part of her theory on it being a generation ship. Your brain refused to let you realize that you were hurtling through the vacuum of space with no freedom. There was no confinement, simply a lovely stroll. Fang walked in slow, long steps. Josephine thought it was an affectation that allowed him to exaggerate the flowing courier's uniform he wore. His stride was long enough that the slowness of his steps allowed him to keep pace with Josephine. His very motion was both yin and yang. She was pushing a large cart filled with decorations for her quarters. The seven days, like every shop and restaurant on Josephine's level, was devoid of people. It was only ever her and Fang in this psychic quarantine. But every place felt like it had just emptied out. She would walk into a bakery filled with treats and the treats were there. The bread was warm and she could smell fresh goods baking in the kitchen. She would, from time to time, walk into the kitchen and fresh dough was out, ready to be punched or rise. Cookies were baking with a timer set. She knew it was all done by robot servants. They were incredibly well built, but not used often since work was an indelible part of being a member of WorldGov. Humans in need of an upvote or who loved to bake would manage a bakery on earth. But in remote or poorly populated mining countries, robots were popular plus which they were more dexterous, strong, and capable than their human masters. But even they stayed out of sight from Josephine. Maybe the presence of these humanoid simulacrum would trigger some anthropomorphism that would set Josephine back. Her cart was filled with a few tapestries, some rugs, some vases and statuary. She had an oversized salt lamp that was a gorgeous striated pink and orange. There were two framed pieces of art, one by Vladimir zanusin And another by pablo picasso and a couple of posters of bands she loved as a child for nostalgia's sake the orchid the ficus the camellia and azaleas she had mentioned only an hour ago while talking to feng were all at the seven days as well it was probably an expensive haul but she had more aesthetic chits than she could count since she never had cause to spend any while she lived in the framing chamber for all those years They paused outside of Fang's quarters, which were maybe only a hundred yards away from Josephine's. He took a hand-painted tea set and a bag of ceremonial-grade matcha that she bought for him as a gift and slid through the membrane into his suite of apartments. It bulged, and he slid back out a few seconds later. Thank you again for the lovely gift, he said. Well, you need something nicer than naval coffee mugs to drink your tea in. That is a fine tea right there. Indeed it is. They walked the rest of the way home. Josephine almost stopped into a small coffee house that sold wonderful coffee-flavored iced cream, but she figured she'd go out later to get one after she went to the gym. They stopped at her membrane, and she paused, looking into the cart. You look troubled, my friend, Fang said. Worried? What if it works? She asked. What if what works? Fang echoed with a lightness in his voice. The artwork. The rugs. The Feng Shui. What if it works and I meditate more fully? And... It works. I mean, I've spent plenty of time with Alpha, and they say he's like all the messengers that have ever served WorldGov back to the start. And you know what they say about messengers? What do they say? Fang asked. Josephine couldn't tell if he was placating her or if he honestly didn't know. How much time have you spent with Alpha? I mean, in the real world, not a dream state, Josephine asked. Good question. Fang looked at the freckles on his arm and swiped to activate them. She could see that he pulled up a data screen and did a few clicks. Just under 7,000 hours total. And, she asked. And what, he said with what could be described as a giggle. And do you think he's actually sane still? Do you think any of the messengers went through contact without being irrevocably changed? No, no, not a one. The messages change a person to their core, Josephine. It isn't just that the dreams are incessant. It isn't the things being sent down, the technical schemata or whatever. It's the bridge across the middle. It's the lack of footing, the vacancy of vertical and horizontal. It's the vastness of the galaxy that separates us, intertwining with an utterly alien, foreign, and unrecognizable mind. Now that you're up against it, are you having second thoughts? No, nothing that dramatic, but after all this time waiting for it to happen, and now that it might... She sighed a heavy, practiced, intentional sigh. A premeditative sigh they were trained to do in order to ease tension and flush the system with a burst of oxygen. When I was young, before any service, I had horrible eyesight. I didn't want to wear glasses. Well, because I was beautiful. You still are, Fang. interrupted. It wasn't a flirt. He was just speaking plainly, as he always did. I was beautiful and vain. Contact lenses freaked me out. I was young, like I said, so I decided to have a surgery to fix my vision. My friend Sonia Lau had done it a week before my appointment and I went with her. The doctor invited me to sit in a room reserved for family where you could watch the procedure. They gave me a cup of tea and left me alone there. Through the glass, I saw Sonia come in sometime later. She looked a little drunk because of something they gave her for the anxiety. They strapped her down, head in these crazy stirrups that were obviously back-engineered. They looked like purple fruit rolls, but they writhed and moved on their own and held her head down against the angled bed she was on. They slid down and secured her neck and then split to get smaller and pried open her eyes. The doctor moved the machine in and it did its thing, and Sonia was just lying there, white knuckled, her face sucked down by an alien fruit roll up and a cutter making adjustments to her eyes. I mean, what was she seeing? What did she feel? How bad was the panic? I called off my appointment on the way out of the office that day. I couldn't go through with it. I got glasses. Fang said, You don't wear glasses now. No, years later I got the surgery, she admitted. See, you conquered the fear of the less mature version of yourself. No, she said, shaking her head absently. Vanity won the battle against fear. And was the surgery as bad as you had anticipated? Oh yes, worse maybe, because I'd built it up. And I know I'm better for it. Perfect sight for an hour of intense worry and five minutes of alien face wrap and a laser in my face. I should have done it in the first place. It's just what I've been thinking about. I was perfectly prepared to have the surgery until it was time for the surgery. If they had contacted me in my dreams weeks ago when all this started, I would have no reluctance. But now, all this time and nothing, and the Alpha thinks this will help, salt lamps and irises? It's like the eye doctor all over again. Except it's not clear eyesight on the other side. It's something known to only five other humans in existence. They both paused, and then finally Feng spoke. His eyes were stern with an intensity she had never seen before on this gentle man. He asked, And you're afraid you're going to go mad? Oh no, Feng. I know I will. Nothing. Three more weeks of nothing. Josephine added more and more decorations to her quarters. She doubled her meditation routines. She exercised to the point of exhaustion, so she'd sleep harder. Nothing. She talked with Fang frequently. They would work through some meditations together in the afternoons. Alpha was incredibly busy. Meeting with him by day was impossible, because to her knowledge, he wasn't even on this ship. At night, he was busy doing what an alpha messenger must do, receive messages. She walked into her kitchen where she now had a wall calendar hung. It was there to be decoration, not to actually count the passage of time. She got it from the seven days on one of her recent visits. Each month had a beautifully painted mythological creature from around the world. This month had a feng huang, a Chinese phoenix. Now, she was taking a marker and crossing off today as she went to perform her final meditation and sleep, hoping and dreading the approach of alien dreams. Today was the 21st of democracy. In seven more days, it would be New Year's Day, and then it would be January, the start of a new year. WorldGov held up the 13-month fixed calendar as a simple yet powerful symbol. Instead of a chaotic 12-month calendar with varying days per month and no real logic, WorldGov revised it for all of humanity. 13 equal months of 28 days, plus a New Year's Day that existed outside of the months, with two New Year's days on leap years. There was talk of renaming all the months, but the familiarity was deemed important in taming the West. So they just needed a name for the 13th month, and that was Democracy. It was a Saturday night. She didn't know this from any type of routine, since her time in quarantine was an endless bath of tepid monotony. She knew it because it was the 21st, and the 21st of every month of her entire life was always a Saturday, thanks to the fixed calendar. Josephine turned out the lights and all that remained was the background illumination from the galaxy beyond the massive window and a constant strip of sunlight against the forewall that grew dimmer by the day. She meditated as her attendants purred above her head and then she lay down to sleep. Just as she was going under and pleasant chemicals were altering her brain state, someone roughly kicked the foot of her bed. Or, a much worse case scenario, was that the Tehachapi lurched for some reason, had struck something or been attacked, She sat up and called for the light. The room was already bright, but she was alarmed to find she was not in her bed, but on the medical table of her ophthalmologist's office from all those years ago. She was in surgical robes, which she didn't wear for that actual surgery, and as cool air blew up her thighs, she felt exposed and half naked. She sat up, and her skin gave some resistance as suction held it at bay to the fake leather of the table. It peeled off and made her think of those horrid fruit rolls. A man in a white doctor's coat came in. His face was obscured by a surgical mask and a large metal head mirror shifted down over his right eye. Josephine couldn't imagine anyone actually using such a thing these days. A flat disk of shiny metal to reflect light for medical purposes? But that must have been bleeding-edge technology a few flimsy centuries ago. This is a very interesting choice, the man said with a too familiar voice. Not the doctor's office, I mean, that was all mine. I thought it might be funny, but you aren't laughing, so I'll call the location a comedic misfire. He slid down his mask and swiveled the metal disc up above his face, and standing before her was Bill Campana, her anchor once. You're dead, she said, realizing this was a dream. She often had dreams with Bill in them. She always outthought the dream because she knew he was dead, so to vocalize it closed it down. It was the last thing she'd say in the dream before she woke up and calmed her emotions with winter dew technique. But this time the phantasm held, which was odd for someone who was supposed to be a master of her own dreams. Let me begin, Bill said and then paused. He raised his eyebrows to indicate naughty surprise and pointed up and down at her surgical gown and the revealing nature of it. He then continued, Campana was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Alpha signed it, and Alpha's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Josephine had no idea what to say to this or what it meant. She was just about to pronounce him dead again when he spoke. "'Nothing,' Bill said with a sideways smile." and the wide eyes he'd use while telling a joke that was so subtle it might be missed. Well, so much for the classics. And no, I'm very much alive. But no, I'm not Bill Campana. He is very much dead. And I apologize for taking on his guys, but that is all you. Tonight, I will control the locations, but only tonight. The rest is you, Josephine. I fully acknowledge that you don't like to be called Joe. Are you him? It? The sender? Well, her, actually, yes. I identify as female, though I'm not entirely certain why, since I have no biological gender whatsoever. You chose a surgical gown? You didn't even wear one at the actual surgery. Showing off those Hong Kong thighs? Unless you just like a little breezy in your cheesy, if you know what I mean. I don't, actually, know what you mean, Josephine said, gathering her robe around her as best she could. Then cover yourself up. Or don't, it's just us girls. You work out? Bill, the sender, asked in a strange, lilting accent. I do, actually. It's part of my mandate as a framer. Well, I've never spoken to an actual framer before. You've spoken to Alpha for years, she said. Indeed, I have. But he's never been a framer, has he? Josephine was confounded. This place, what the sender was saying, the odd tone of everything... I... I wouldn't know. How how would I know that? This is all very confusing to me as a new. They both said in unison. Josephine fell silent. This Bill spoke. I may not be the best ambassador between my people and the human race, but the one you call Alpha seems to get a kick out of me. And to be honest, I think I've rubbed off on him a bit. What a grumpy pants he used to be. Ugh, Larry at this, Larry at that. It's closing. It's tightening. Vote war. Vote war. Come on. As a biological being with a limited time in this universe, you'd think you'd spend your time on garnering a little cheer in your life. That goes for you too, you know. Meditate, worry, meditate, worry, report to Feng, write another report. This is not that. Worry, decorate, decorate, decorate. Did they help? Josephine interrupted, wondering what it was that finally broke the barrier down and let them communicate from across the galaxy. The decorations? Alpha thought Feng Shui was what let him talk to you originally. Bill smirked. Yeah, I told him that like a century ago, and I guess he never realized I was joking. You're handling all this remarkably well. The one you call Alpha took much longer to be conversant with me and handle what was happening in here, but it was a different time. Josephine breathed. It was the winter sunset technique meant to still the mind and lungs while under duress. She remembered when Alpha told her she was chosen for this. He said the sender was very humorous. Josephine realized she had to start seeing the sender as a jokester, reinterpret meaning behind what the sender was saying, look for alien punchlines in what he was doing. There it is, the sender said, using Bill's voice, acceptance. And if I do say so, acknowledge of my riotous sense of humor. I mean, come on, you and Fang laugh at each other, and he's not even that funny. Bit syncophatic, sure, but Jerry Seinfeld, he is not. And you're typically just kind of phoning it in with a fake laugh for Fang. I don't know what that means, sender. Who is Jerry Seinfeld? What is phoning it in? Maybe with more context I could understand the subtlety of your humor. Oh darling, that is not how humor works at all. They really like to pick grumpy pants for would-be messengers, don't they? I'll keep making with the funny and hope some of it might stick. The punchlines may not ever land, though, since I'm not speaking any real language to you. It's like I learned English to speak to the one you call Alpha, and then I learned basic, but we're not using a real language anyway, it's just impressions and direct transmissions of ideas, but through the shadow of linguistics, it's hard to explain in a satisfactory way to the human mind. So more like direct telepathic communication? Ah, well, see? I'm a pretty good explainer, turns out. Exactly like that. Yes, and from far away. Sender, do I have permission to ask how far? You sure do, the sender said, snapping Bill's fingers. From the Scudum Crux Arm of the Milky Way. You are in the Orion Spur. I use those terms, so you can look them up. They aren't our terms. But boy, is that fun to say. Scudum Crux Arm. Clear on the other side of the galactic bar and the Sagittarius A black hole, impossibly far away farther than any two sentient species have ever breached before. And how do we begin, Josephine asked. Why with the only way one can begin on the eve of the 22nd of democracy, education. I want you to see some things about the earth, the world vote war, and what is likely to happen once the lariat opens, or closes, or tightens. I am ready, sender. No, my dear grumpy pants, you most certainly are not. So I hope you enjoyed the first part of the interlude and or holiday special. And uh, stay tuned next week for the second part of the holiday special, which will be interlude part two. I always want to remind you that you can track down uh, my first novel, 181 Pine, and you can track down the, the novels and short story collection that Zach Smith, uh, the host of our sit down episodes, uh, have written. And you can find all of those on mindframepodcast.com, as well as merchandise, coffee mugs, T-shirts, everything you can imagine. It's all there. Um, it's a great way to spread the love and to support the show. On social media, you can find us on Facebook at Mindframe Podcast, on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast, on Twitter at The Mindframe Pod, and on Reddit at r slash And as always, remember, we are a member of the Podbelly Network, and you can go there to find a great host of shows with various topics, uh, everything from comedy to paranormal, including paranormal punchers, And including one of the newer entries, which I've been listening to quite a bit, actually, which is At Least There's Coffee. So uh, always go to Podbelly and check it out. Um, Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. And remember, the Lariat is closing.